This is Mark from Mark's Beehole. I have proof that colony collapse disorder is caused by I doubt it with Dalmore. Save the bees, not the Dalmore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right. Thank you for joining us on this 196th episode of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dalamore. And sitting across from me, nothing comes to mind. <laughs> My beautiful, talented, and loyal co-host, Brittany Page. Here I am. Nothing was... I drew a blank. See, I always say, here I am, and I should probably stop doing that because it's becoming the new, you say all the same stuff in the beginning. Now (laughs) I'm saying all the same stuff in the beginning. At least I don't draw the attention of the audience to it, Mm. like you do with all the things that I say over and over. Well, you should be, because you want me to be fresh, you see? You want me to be bringing new stuff to the table. Wait, wait, wait. I want you to be what? Fresh. No, I don't believe that's how you said it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was being more fresh when I said it earlier. Speaking of fresh, uh, the lovely Brittany Page and I... Took a lift ride this weekend. We sure did. On Thursday. Mm-hmm. So not actually not quite the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Thursday night, Brittany and I took a a a lift cab, you know, one of the car, Uber-like, but it's you know, Lyft. Yeah, we stopped. It, the audience should know, those of you who are loyal listeners, we stopped using Uber for for reasons surrounding New Year's Eve. Yeah, not just because the guy that just went on that shooting spree in Michigan was an Uber driver who That's was right. picking up people in between his shooting sprees. Right, and driving like a maniac uh-huh. while having an affair in his car. Well, anyway, so we took we took a Lyft driver, and it was very close to the house. It ended up being like a $5 ride. Mm-hmm. And as is the life of Jesse D and Brittany P, uh-huh. we started talking about politics. Very quietly in yes. the car. One, he had a television screen coming out of his dash. Seems dangerous. With music videos playing loudly. So we were talking in the back, and Brittany had some, said something about, I just read, I'm not doing a Brittany Page voice very well, but <laughs> she said quietly, like you know, I had to lean in to hear her. I read somewhere that Bernie Sanders' tax plan, there's going to be a, a projected surplus or whatever. And... Upon hearing, he was obviously listening intently to what we were talking about. Upon hearing this, the driver, should I just do an imitation? Yes. The driver does this. <laughs> Bullshit. Okay, except for it was more way. Well, I don't, the mic will explode if I go crazy. No, what I'm saying is <laughs> it was way more laughing than that. Yeah. Way more laughing than that. It was so much laughing that I I was wondering if something was happening to him. Like he was having like a seizure or something. A nervous breakdown, or <laughs> I didn't understand. Like I, I think I grabbed my chest thinking, oh my gosh, we something's happening to him. Yeah, yeah. I need to we jump out of the vehicle. Yeah. While it's moving. So he finished the maniacal strain of laughter Uh with the cough 
bullshit yes. kind of move. Aggressive. And we went silent. Because we were confused. It was odd because, one, it wasn't a group discussion. No. It was a quiet conversation between Brittany and myself. Uh-huh. I said to him, oh, uh, n- not a fan, huh? <laughs> and he goes, oh, no, I'm just kidding. To which I said, eh, doesn't sound like you're kidding. It sounds like you're serious. And then he went on this libertarian kind of, as long as the government stays out of my pockets. And yeah, because you're in a tax bracket that the government just really wants to be in your fucking pockets, guy. Okay, well, here's the most confusing part is he's working off tips. You know, it's like if the waitress that's filling your coffee is chastising you over the conversation that you're having That's at the exa- table. That is, there is, that is it. That is exactly it. And it was so odd because not only that, he gets raided, right, by the passengers he's, he's carrying. Yeah, and which he, leads us to our next topic. Go ahead, sorry. And, and he gets a tip. So he's being a dick and risking getting a not very good review or a not very good tip. Well, because it's different with a Lyft or an Uber driver. They're getting a job review like a monthly or a six-month review of their performance review, Mm -hmm. they're getting it every single fare. They're getting a review. Yeah. And they're not keeping that in mind. Well, here's here's the deal is I'm kind of a... I'm a softie about this. Mm -hmm. I always tip... You have to spit in my food and have me see it for me not to tip you 20%. (laughs) So this, though... I still gave him five stars because I it's his job, it's his livelihood. I don't want to I don't want to fuck with that. Maybe he's just having a bad night or something, you know? Yeah. And then I did gather the gumption, maybe because he wasn't right there staring at me and me not putting a dollar bill in his hand. I didn't tip him. You didn't. I did not. No. I didn't know this. Yeah. Huh. I just there there's there's a button for no tip. Mm. Yeah, and I I, I I mustered the courage. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised. And click the no tip button. But I did give him five. That, his tip, as far as I'm concerned, was a five star review uh-huh. when I didn't want a review. Yeah. Well, this was just very strange. Well, it, it was aggressive. It also bothered me. And maybe this is what led me to no tip is I don't like that you were in fear. That, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. You, there, there should never be a time. Mm-hmm. where at the driver's hands, you're feeling anxiety. Well, I mean, like you said, it was maniacal laugh. Like it was, I, it was not consistent with the conversation. Well, we weren't having a conversation. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, but even yeah. if he was going to be responding to what we say, it wasn't consistent with what we were talking yeah. about. And so then I realized he was insulting me and I was no longer afraid, but then I was irritated that I had been <laughs> insulted. <laughs> Because I was just saying what the article said. It wasn't like I, I, this was my opinion. Right. Well, also, he doesn't know us. He doesn't know my, my, my personal policy on obscenities. He's, it's like if you're, if your waiter is, you know, dropping F-bombs and just cursing, it's, yeah. it's just inappropriate. Yeah. So yeah. List, to you listening guy, although you're probably not listening to a news and comment podcast, you're probably listening to your Probably something loud a, music videos, or probably something about the economy, since he appeared to be an expert <laughs> on the economy. Just an immediate assessment of my statement as bullshit. Right. Yes. Cough, cough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's 
let's uh let's put a call out to the audience was i am i a complete and utter wuss Mm -hmm. what's the deal let me know just how much of a loser i am oh 657-464-7609 of course as always you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com let's move on speaking of communication to a listener voice memo about this running topic we've had about torture. Hey guys, it's Jeremy in Kansas. I wanted to uh, follow up with you. I actually recorded this once before, but it was really bad. Um, <laughs> this is in regards to torture. I am with pretty much everybody in the fact that yes, torture is wrong. I personally don't want to uh, be associated with it in any way, whether it's my country or obviously anybody I know. It is immoral, that's true. However, Jesse has a point in the fact that sometimes it might be beneficial. However awful that is to admit. I guess the reason why I think this is because war is inherently immoral as well. Immoral things happen during the war that I personally wouldn't want to be responsible for, but it does happen. And I don't want to be the person who, personally, I've I've never actually served in the Army, the Marines, anything. I don't want to be the civilian who's who's over here saying, well, you can't do that because that's immoral, even though I have never set foot in any situation anywhere near that. So I think it is easy for people to get on their high horse and say, no, we're we're a country who's above that. We, We can't do that. I think Jesse's right. You never know. One in a million chance it might be worth it. And I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to that sort of thing. Ah, man, that's a tough topic. Thanks for moving the conversation forward. All right. Huh? There's one listener <laughs> out there who kind of agrees with me. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> and I want, listen, I want the, I think a lot of times, especially with a topic like this, people just shut down about Oh, he he thinks there are some cases, possibly, maybe. So he's he's as Marcus said, unreasonable, mm-hmm. and that's just not the case. I am against torture. I am against it. It is wrong. But like Sam Harris says, you know, sometimes it we it should possibly be left open for extreme extenuating circumstances. And the other thing about this entire torture topic is the fact that we need to define terms. This, especially in this topic, we really need to define the terms we're using. Mm -hmm. Because if you make a guy stand up on a chair for three hours, is that torture? If you have a dog bark at him where he's afraid because it's a snarling, scary dog, is that torture? Or, like the example that Sam Harris used, is not allowing him to to get the, the required eight hours sleep, is that torture? The is, construct has not been defined. Right, and it should be defined, because I used to not, I used to think that waterboarding wasn't torture. And I've come around on that. It took me a few years. But I do believe that waterboarding is torture. You're at imminent fear for your life, that you are going to die. 
yeah, that seems a little extreme to me. But it's right on the edge. I think there is credence to the argument that for those who argue that it is enhanced interrogation, I, I don't think they're just monsters. I think they really just view things differently. So I don't know if we're going to continue this. Obviously, everything is up for a continued discussion. Well, the APA has an official position. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and you've let us know yes. that it does. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's move on. More more listener communication. We always love we do. Goddamn. I love it when we hear from the listeners. It's uh it's validating it that makes we your really day. are. Yeah, well, we're moving. We talk about moving the conversation forward. And what better way to know that we are moving the conversation forward than by having a goddamn conversation with the people for whom we do the show. Mm-hmm. So we got an email. From Mark. Mark. To the Facebook page. And yes, you can message us on the Facebook page. That is another way. So Mark says, hi, I'm very happy to. Hi, Mark. (laughs) I'm very happy to have found you guys and the show a few weeks ago. I Doubt It has become my favorite podcast. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? I think it's incredible (laughs) that I agree with 99% of the things you guys say in regards to politics and religion, which is rare and great. Rare and great. Yes. We're not making fun of you, by the way. I think we're just, we're having a good time since I started the hey, hello, hi thing. Yeah, I have to keep my energy (laughs) high to prepare for him to talk over me. So I opened up my podcast. So I opened up my podcast yesterday in hopes of having a new one from you guys. No such luck. Maybe I should be more aware of when you guys upload new episodes. I don't know. Monday and Thursday. Anyway, I went back and listened to an old episode because that's how much I love you. So I'm listening to episode 179, and I don't know if you're aware, but Brittany predicted Scalia's imminent death. So basically, she's a prophet. Pretty amazing. Before I let you go, I should mention that I'm a mailman, and I don't appreciate Jesse talking S about the USPS. <laughs> mm-hmm. JK, I don't care about dumb things. Please keep making fun of people who deserve it and moving the conversation forward. Mark clearly doesn't care about dumb things when he uses the acronym JK. (laughs) Come on. Well, listen, thank you very much for pointing out the prognosticative powers. I'm prophetic. Of Brittany Page. Here is the audio, very brief audio, of Brittany Page on December 14th talking about the imminent death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Right, and there have been, um, you know, those, like, petition sites. Yeah, change.org yeah, and all that. Yeah, there's petitions now going around asking for him to be um, taken off the Supreme oh, Court on. for for making this, this statement because they said there's no room for racism on the Supreme Court. <laughs> um, anyway... Not everybody who says something that's unpopular or shitty should be removed from their position. It's, that's, come on. Anyway. Well, he'll also probably be dead soon. That is true. He's like 78 years old. I I think 79. Didn't we say that last time? I don't know. We looked it up. I'm not going to Google it again. Okay. (laughs) Look at that. I'm just full of compassion. Brittany Page. Just so compassionate. Calling, that is wildly, you, what we need to do is get you one of those palm reading, those palm, and then just have this play to let them know just how psychic you are. Anyway. Well, he'll also probably be dead soon. (laughs) (laughs) 
sounds so bad. Anyway. Well, he'll also probably be dead soon. <laughs> but this is making up for, in my opinion. The Santorum. The Santorum, the Santorum prediction. F- just continued failure. Yeah, you're 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 not a you're, your picker has been broken relative to politics, but this goes beyond that. Also, I just said in my opinion. Yeah, I was gonna let it go, but since you brought it up, well, it bothered me when I said it. <laughs> I don't know the I hate it when people say in my opinion because we fucking know it's in your opinion mm-hmm. unless you're saying the sky is blue, <laughs> unless you're stating a fact. We know. It's your opinion. It's also, you know, what also I hate is when this is, this could be a long, <laughs> is, a long drawn out I thing. I should not have started this. I hate it when people say this point in time, mm. blah, 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 you know, oh yeah, well, you know, it, in the, at this point in time, at that point in time, we know what point you're talking about. We don't think you're pointing it at a fucking map. Okay. We know. That it's a, a, a point in time. We know that. Yeah. We... There's so many people on CNN who do it, and it makes me want to reach through Uh-oh. and strangle their little freaking stick necks. Okay. Um, do you need some time to... No. Okay. Pretty good. All right. Maybe we'll just uh, call for a lift, and maybe Rodrigo or whatever his <laughs> name was will show up. All right. Let's move on to a little follow-up. We've covered, it seems at length now, several times, Ethan Couch, who has been come, who has come to be known as the affluenza teen. He is the teenage drunk driver who killed four people in an auto accident and received probation, largely because his parents are exceedingly wealthy. He and his mother fled to Mexico, and they were apprehended. And have since both been brought back to the United States. Well, they're trying to get his case put back into adult court. And although that has not quite been done yet, this is the next best thing. The hearing in juvenile court took place this morning. And there was a revised order of detention that was issued by the judge in the juvenile court. Today, the judge signed an order that changed the detention status of Ethan Couch, and it says that he is now to be detained in the Tarrant County Jail. He is still continuing under that very same case and order. The only change that was made in his status was his housing change. So he is still under all the juvenile law, rules, restrictions, all that. He is held without bond. People are confused, I mean, obviously, from the phone calls I've gotten, and people don't understand, but really, the easiest way to say it, that's all that really changed. He, he moved from one building to another, because the same court has jurisdiction over him. He just has a different, a different place and a different landlord. A different landlord. So what I'm kind of confused about is they're saying that this means that he could face 120 days in jail and then finish up his 10-year probation. Why is that the punishment for fleeing to Mexico? It's just the... Dyeing his hair black. That's a crime in and of itself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he clearly was fleeing and violating his probation. The real crime is not shaving off that shitty, terrible goatee that he had that already looked fake anyway. And the mustache? And that, yeah, terrible. (laughs) There's the neck I need to strangle right there. No, quit. 
Quit talking about strangling Max. What is so, wrong with you? Things are moving in the right direction. No, they're not. What? No, because you're talking about strangling Max. They're anyway, not moving I'm, in the right I'm direction. I'm talking about the lovely and talented Ethan oh, Couch. Mm, yes. <laughs> things are moving in the right direction. Ish. Let's talk briefly before we move on about, well, it's an article that Brittany found that she has been wanting me to talk about ad nauseum. It's all I hear about all throughout the day. This is not I'm true. I'm trying to talk about ringing necks, strangling little skinny necks. And Brittany Page wants to talk about when they ask kids, who is the smartest kid in the class? Apparently, it's not always the same answer. Well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> and these aren't really kids so much as undergraduates. Oh, but so it's not children. Anthropologist Dan Grunspan was studying the habits of undergraduates when he noticed a persistent trend. Male students assumed their male classmates knew more about course material than female students, even if the young women earned better grades. Quote, the pattern just screamed at me, he said. So he and his colleagues at the University of Washington and elsewhere decided to quantify the degree of this gender bias in the classroom. After surveying roughly 1,700 students across three biology courses, they found young men consistently gave each other more credit than they awarded to their just as savvy female classmates. Men overranked their peers by three quarters of a GPA point, according to the study. Wow. In other words, if Johnny and Susie both had A's, they'd receive... Oh, I thought you said both had AIDS. I'm like, what's that have to do with it? Okay. Both had <laughs> A's. They'd receive equal applause from female students. But but Susie would register as a B student in the eyes of her male peers, and Johnny would look like a rock star. The researchers believe something under the conscious is going on. For 18 years, these young men have been socialized to have this bias. Being male, he added, is some kind of boost, at least in the eyes of other men. Have you said when they asked Susie what that she was kind of just fair and general about it? She didn't favor her female peers? Okay, well, let's, let's go for a little further. So the surveys asked each student to nominate their most knowledgeable classmates at three points during the school year who best knew the subject, who were the highest achievers. To illustrate the resulting peer perception gap, researchers compared the importance student grades had on winning a nomination to the weight of gender bias. The typical student received 1.2 nominations, with men averaging 1.3 and women averaging 1.1. Female students gave other female students a recognition boost equivalent to a GPA bump of 0.04 too tiny to indicate inner, any gender preference. Male mm. students, however, awarded fellow male students a recognition boost equivalent of a 0.76 GPA wow. increase. So so the difference of 0. 0.04 and so point, point 0.04 and 0.7 whatever. 0. 0.04 to 0. 0.76. Yeah, that's, so goddamn, that's the, more than three quarters of a of a GPA point. So the male nominator's gender bias is 19 times the size of the female <laughs> nominators. Get it together. Yeah. That is, I wonder what that is. Did, have they drawn any conclusions or just pointing out the results? Because it could be, you know, kind of tribalism kind of a thing that I'm sticking with my boys, you know, bros before hoes. You know, Brittany Page, the old adage. <laughs> uh, 
Sure. Um, the researchers said it could possibly be increased male visibility. Um, possibly men did raise their hands more often, at least in the instructor's memory during the class. Mm-hmm. So the researchers say the phenomenon leads to more than a knowing female eye roll. College <laughs> women in STEM programs ditch their minors earlier and more often than male students. Um, that's one reason STEM fields no. remain male dominated. So, you know, there could be something going on within so, so classrooms. This could be a contributing factor to women getting out of the sciences. Possibly. You, you know, it's research, so they don't have any... They, they don't draw I, firm... I'm, do, I'm doing that thing you hate, huh? Well, they don't draw firm conclusions. That's not the purpose right, of right, research. Right. It's all speculation. Which, and this could be the case. It could be influencing this. It right, could right. be this. So it's not firm, but, you know, it's an interesting... Um, so stop doing that thing you hate. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. So, we just sent a giant batch of stickers out, and we would like to know where they find a home. Where are you going to place those stickers? On a laptop? On your... We've seen them on golf carts. We've seen them on skis. We've seen them all kinds of different places. And we'd like to know where yours end up. Important information for our Patreon supporters would be that the next debates coming up are February 25th and March 3rd. These are both GOP debates. And we will we will be releasing those as Patreon bonus content. We thank you guys very, very much. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. As you are well aware, because you are a an I Doubt It listener, you know that the Nevada caucus and the South Carolina primary is over for the Democrats and Republicans, respectively. But we're not going to get there yet. Let's talk about a couple things that happened prior to the caucus and the primary. It's kind of the problem, Brittany Page, it's kind of the problem with doing a show only twice a week because so, so, so many times throughout the week something will happen and I'll be just, I want to go and turn the mics on and just do like a 15-minute show. It's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult. Well, the Pope, who was visiting Mexico this last week, he had some... Some very pointed words, very specific things to say about Donald Trump. Thank God he said I was a politician because Aristotle defined the human person as animal politicus. So at least I'm a human person. As to whether I'm a pawn, well, maybe, I don't know. I'll leave that up to your judgment and that of the people. And then, a person who thinks only about building walls, 
wherever they may be located, and not building bridges, is not a Christian. This is not in the gospel. As far as what you said about whether I would advise to vote or not vote, I am not going to get involved in that. I say only that this man is not a Christian if he has said things like that. So, <laughs> the Pope taking off his gloves and judging the the Christianity, the religion of Donald Trump, which, as far as I know, the Bible well enough, it flies in the face of uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Judge not lest ye be judged, which that particular scripture does have to do with uh, judging one's salvation. Is it also related to 2 Corinthians? Yeah, it's also related to 2 Corinthians. Okay. <laughs> so Donald Trump, in true just jackass fashion, came out and read one of his patented Donald Trump statements. Like, he writes it, then he says, he reads it in, like, the fir- the, the third person. Yeah, this is from Donald Trump. Donald Trump says. Yeah. <laughs> I He says first, I wrote the statement. I wrote this. Yeah. And I'm going to read it to you. Mm-hmm. And then in reading it, he says, Donald J. Trump and all the... God yeah. damn. Yeah. It's just... Very strange. It, it really, it just goes to the circus act that is Donald Trump. So I just wrote this out very quickly about the Pope. Do you want to hear it? Should I read it to you? Okay. He actually said that maybe I'm not a good Christian or something. It's unbelievable, which is really not a nice thing to say. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so mean. It's such a mean thing to say. Well, that's, there's, there's several things I want to talk about, that being one of them. Who, who is Donald Trump to say it is the height of hypocrisy for him to snivel, to whine, to complain about the meanness of something someone said. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not a very nice thing. Oh, really? Is it not nice? You wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. I want to take her the fat ass mo- the money out of her fat ass pockets. He said about Rosie O'Donnell. Bleed Rosie O'Donnell, bleeding out of her wherever. Right. He knows all about not nice things. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So it's a response from Donald Trump. It says, if and when the Vatican is attacked by ISIS. You know, ISIS, their primary trophy, very few people know this. I read this about two months ago. Nobody even believed it. Their primary thing, you've seen what they've done all over the Middle East. Their primary goal is to get to the Vatican. That would be their ultimate trophy. So I love when people say, oh, I read this somewhere. Did you... (laughs) Did you read it in People magazine? Right. Did some, you know, nameless blogger write it on the internet? Who are you referencing when you say you read it somewhere? You listen, it's Donald Trump. He's a billionaire. He's created a very successful company. He doesn't need to cite his sources, Brittany Page. Uh-huh. How dare you? Well. How dare you? They want to do what they did to all of these magnificent artifacts and all of the beautiful museums that they've totally destroyed all over the Middle East, right? They're, and I didn't know this. I read this like four or five months ago. I made mention of it two months ago. And everyone said, what are you talking about? They thought, like, I'm kidding. It's true. And now there are stories about it. Not big stories, but there are stories about it. And I was checked by one of the reporters that said, they don't want to talk about them. Then he called up and apologized. The big thing, they want to get to the Vatican. So, if and when the Vatican is attacked by ISIS, 
which, as everyone knows, is ISIS's ultimate trophy, I can promise you that the Pope would have only wished and prayed that Donald Trump would have been president. Because it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. Because this would not have happened. ISIS would have been eradicated, unlike what is happening now, with our all-talk, no-action politicians. That's what's happening now. Lemmings we, we, in the crowd. We had a General MacArthur. If we had a General George Patton, I mean, they'd be gone before they even got time to go over and uh, check it out, okay? What? It's a ridiculous situation. Wait, what? That... <laughs> presidential contender leader right now for the Republican nomination for president of these great United States, Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Class act. It it is embarrassing. I am. I I don't say that just to be hyperbolic. I'm, I'm embarrassed for our country right now. Oh, I am too. I am embarrassed for the Republican party. Mm hmm. He is a laughing stock. And the, the the individuals who make up his base are sad. They're, they're sad, sad people. Well, and what's alarming is 239,851 people voted for Donald Trump right. in South Carolina. Right. Yeah. Uh, Just let that sink in for a minute. That is true. However, before we get there, I got one more story. I'm also eager to get to the results, but we have one more story that happened prior to the caucus and the South Carolina primary. In the course of campaigning, we know we've talked about the fact that Phil Robertson, the Duck Dynasty guy, has been trotted out by Ted Cruz to fire up the base, the evangelical base. Well, Phil Robertson had this to say while Ted Cruz looked on on stage. It, it just it blows my goddamn mind. I'm for Cruz because you see this in my hand. Holding a Bible. South Carolina. Bibles and guns brought us here. And there will be Bibles and guns that keeps us here. And this man bleeds in both. It never, it probably will never cease to amaze me. The aligning of those two things. Bibles, Jesus, Christianity, and guns. Well, you know, Jesus went around shooting everybody. (laughs) That's what I hear. He was armed to the teeth just in case the Romans came around. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, when when uh, when they came to capture him, his disciples, they broke out their weapons and he was like, get him, guys. Yeah. You know, get that's him. him. Yeah. 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 Lock and load, apostles. Mm-hmm. So, uh, goddamn, seriously. It's really scary. This race has become a fucking cartoon on the Republican side. I also want to say that Sean Hannity was on the stage with them. So let's just also implicate him in this. And um, wait, wait, Sean Hannity from 
Fox News. Yes, he was standing right next to them. He didn't run away like someone should. But Ted Cruz, he did look kind of visibly uncomfortable while this was going on. I don't know if it's just because it's Ted Cruz and that's how he looks, but... A weird, shitty grin. Like, uncomfortable grin. Yeah, it just seemed kind of awkward. Well, he... Look, we've said it before. He embraces the Duck Dynasty knuckleheads. Mm -hmm. He embraces this gun culture which they want to sidle up to and intermingle with Christianity. It's outrageous. It is outrageous and patently offensive as a former Christian to say, Bibles and guns, they got us this far, and they'll take us the rest of the way, y'all. That's... uh, Ah, damn. Mm -hmm. It is... It's beyond words. Yeah. It, It is... Fucking bizarre. Mm-hmm. And they they eat it up. They eat it up, mm-hmm. the crowds. Mm-hmm. And obviously the voters. So with that, let's get into what are some of the results from the... Let's start with the South Carolina primary since we're shitting on Republicans right now. Um, let's talk about the vote count again. So Donald Trump won. He won with 32.5%. Marco Rubio was second with 22.5%. And Ted Cruz was a very, very, very close third with 22.3%. Right. There was there was uh, like a thousand and some votes in between Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. And Jeb Bush who has dropped out 7.8%, John Kasich 7.6%, and Ben Carson came in last with 7.2%. Which leads us to, you transitioned us nicely there, Jeb Bush has officially, he is the latest quitter amongst the Republicans. Not Ben Carson, who did even worse than Jeb Bush. Ben Carson has vowed to stick around longer. And Ben Carson, who only detracts from the debate. It is he does he adds nothing to the conversation. He interrupts the flow of people walking onto the debate stage and then also just complains that he's there on stage, he's not being asked enough questions. <laughs> blah he, blah blah. He makes me sleepy just watching him talk. Mm-hmm. It is terrible. So here is Jeb Bush who gave a teary a teary goodbye and look I don't think Jeb Bush is right for the country, and I don't agree with him on on a lot. There's a lot I don't agree. But um, I don't think he's a bad man, and I think he left defeated. He seemed very defeated. Yes. When I began this journey in Miami, I committed that I would campaign as I would serve, going everywhere, speaking to everyone, keeping my word, facing the issues without flinching, and staying true to what I believe. For the better part of a year, I've endeavored to do just exactly that. I have put forth a vision for America that includes all because our country deserves a president for everyone. The presidency is bigger than any one person and is certainly bigger than any candidate. This is not, uh, we're, we're different in our country because our head of state is not above us, but because the head of state, the people that aspire to the presidency, are part of the people. In a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, we elect a president like us, imperfect under God's watchful eye. I've had a front row seat to this office for most of my adult life. 
I've seen fallible men rise up to the challenges of our time with humility and clarity of purpose to make our nation safer, stronger, and freer. I firmly believe the American people must entrust this office to someone who understands that whoever holds it is a servant, not the master, someone who will commit to that service with honor and decency. Our next president will lead an extraordinary country whose people have always made the improbable possible in big ways and small. Every day, Americans test the boundaries of freedom and achieve more than what they could have ever dreamed. But over the last seven years, our nation's bright light has become little more than a flicker. We have retreated from the world stage. The American values that have brought peace and opportunity are fading. That is not the America we know and love. America is a country that thinks big, acts boldly, and leads without apology. It will be up to the next president to restore that kind of leadership. I'm proud of the campaign that we've run to unify our country and to advocate conservative solutions that would give more Americans the opportunity to rise up and reach their God-given potential. But the people of Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina have spoken, and I really respect their decision. So tonight, I am suspending my campaign. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, man. So he's, he's a good guy. Yeah, I Wrong think, about a lot, but that doesn't mean he's not a good man. Yeah, I, I like when men get emotional. <laughs> and so I appreciated that he got emotional because I think it was a real genuine human moment. Well, his wife called something out from the crowd. Like, I love you or something. He mm. said, thank you, baby, mm. is what he said. And he was visibly holding back tears. Yeah. And, I, you know, you, the audience knows me well enough. I'm a crier. I get emotional very easily. And even watching him, I don't know if it's the mirror neurons kicking in, but even I was watching him like, ah, you know, he just, I could feel his passion for what he was doing. Like I said, wrong or not. So we bid you adieu, good sir. And we will move on with the Republican race, the contest in the future uh, primaries. So apparently everyone who has won South Carolina goes on to be the nominee. Is that right? It is. No one has ever gone on to get the nominee who had not won New Hampshire and South Carolina, or more, more accurately, everyone who won South Carolina and New Hampshire went on to get the nomination. Right. Yeah. Wow, we really fucking, we mangled that. <laughs> well, I did, and then you fixed it. Uh, you know, you knew where I was going with it. Okay, um, so I want to say the people that have won South Carolina in the past. So in 2012, Newt Gingrich won. That's right. In 2008, John McCain won. And in 2000, George W. Bush won. The thing is, though, is we, we talk a lot about, and the pundits really talk about, the history, and, oh, this has never been done, or this has to be done, or... This year is completely different from any other year. Donald Trump has thrown a monkey wrench into the race. It's completely different rules that apply that have never been the case. So we'll see. 
but it looks like right now, unless a firestorm, what, what, what needs to happen? Here we go. Here's what needs to happen. Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, or John Kasich, and certainly Ben Carson, someone needs to drop out, leaving one person and Donald Trump so the rest of that support that was for those other candidates can congeal with uh, an alternative candidate to Donald Trump. And these men's egos seemingly are getting in the way of that. And like Ben Carson, he needs to fucking go. Um, Kasich, as much as I really like that guy, he needs to go. I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is here, but it looks as if right now the things remain the same. Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. So the New York Times did a little bit of a breakdown and they did um, voters who favored Newt Gingrich in 2012, voters who favored John McCain in 2008, voters who favored Mike Huckabee in 2008, and voters who favored Mitt Romney in 2012. Donald Trump was by far the favorite among all of these groups, with Mm -hmm. one exception, those who favored Mitt Romney in 2012. And they were most likely to vote for Marco Rubio. Wow. So I thought that that was very interesting. Yeah, for sure it is. That's great. We'll see. I mean, look, look. I, I think Ted Cruz is, he's not long for this world relative to support, even though he's moving into the South. But he didn't do well. This is, if there is an electorate that was made for Ted Cruz and his wacky message, it's South Carolina. And they didn't receive him with open arms. Yeah. They clearly went the other way. He got third place. Granted, it's a close third, but he got third place. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump ran away with this. So, I don't know. We'll see. We will wait and see. Let's move on. Let's talk about Nevada very quickly. Obviously, it's a little easier to talk about since there's only two candidates. It was called prior that it was going to be very close, and it ended up not being quite as close as it was predicted to be. So Hillary Clinton won with 52.6% of the vote, and Bernie Sanders had 47.3% of the vote. Hillary Clinton had 19 delegates, and Bernie Sanders had 15 delegates. Right. It's it's uh, it's not a winner-take-all yet mm-hmm. until, like, after Super Tuesday. So he did walk away with something, which is good, and we'll see. Um it is weird, though. And, you know, he- here's here's the other thing. I We talk on the time all the time about wanting to engage the audience, get them involved in the process. And I'm always thinking of easy ways to make it happen and to, to, to motivate the audience. If you're interested, whether Republican or Democrat, whether liberal or conservative, if you're interested in voting, I would... With all the energy I have within me, encourage you to do so. Get involved in the political process this year. I put something up on the website. Go to dollamore.com slash vote. And there is a list of every state and territory's primary dates, a phone number for the division within your government to find out where to vote, when to vote, what the rules are, and also a website to go to to check out some of the details as well. Again, dollamore.com slash vote. I, 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 it's very important. This year, 
more than any other year I've talked about in the past that we are witnessing, I mean, every, every election we're witnessing history, but we could very well be witnessing the end, the death of the Republican Party as we know it. And, you know, speaking from a biased position, it needs to happen. This iteration, this, this creation, whatever, this, this, this version of the Republican Party is bad, bad fucking news. And it needs to die. So Super Tuesday is March 1st coming up. And we are getting pretty excited about that because that will really solidify what's going on. A lot of quitters after Super Tuesday. Yeah. And and <laughs> and we're going to see, you know, who rises to the top here and who really has a chance. Yeah. And if it's Trump, get ready for the next several long months. Very long months. Yeah. It's, well, it'll be entertaining, to say the least, but it will also... It's... it's absolutely solidify that we have a democratic president for the next four years we'll see and maybe i'm wrong but that is why i feel i really have that feeling so let's let's move on uh i've got a clip here where the npr it's kind of related but the npr the npr i know what's happening the national public radio <laughs> npr asked obama about what he would ask like any question he would ask of the people who are running for president who want his job. And of course, being lame duck, awesome, Jesse loves him, Obama, he he answered very thoughtfully. He, he took some time, he hemmed and he hawed, and he, ah, he answered. Uh, you know, uh, I might have to give it some thought, but what I can tell you... Uh, I ask myself every single day is how can I be useful in creating an America that is more tolerant, more prosperous, provides greater opportunity, is safer. Um, and so I might just ask somebody, why do you want to do this? Uh, and I suppose they'd give a cliche answer because that's what candidates do. But I, I will tell you, as president, uh, if you're interested just because you like the title or you like the trappings or you like the power or the fame or the celebrity, uh, Donald Trump, that side of it wears off pretty quick. At least it has for me. And what sustains me, what lasts, what makes me happy, proud, frustrated sometimes, uh, is the recognition that if you want this job, then you really need to love this country and have a very clear vision and idea of what it is that you want to do to help make uh, this country work even better. And um, I don't think this country works best on fear. I don't think this country works best on hate. I don't think this country works best on cynicism. Uh, I think this country works best on community and hope and optimism and dynamism and change. Um, and uh, 
you know, if, 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 if you're aspiring to this job, then um, you need to ask yourself some you know, very serious questions about uh, why you're doing it. Because that's, uh, that's what's going to keep you going on those days that uh, things aren't going so well. How awesome is that? How beautiful is that? Yeah, you know what I needed? I almost broke out into... <laughs> he needed like some background patriotic America the Beautiful, you know, Purple Mountains Majesty kind of shit behind there. Yeah. It's I, an awesome answer. I love how he was also speaking directly to the Republican Party. <laughs> Which is operating from fear. He most certainly was. Operating from this place of negativity. And, you know, like he said, America doesn't work best when you have that image in your head of fear right. and you're working from this place. Well, listen, a lot of people, they question my fondness, my nostalgia that I have for Ronald Reagan. And it is because of the same thing that that, that Obama just said. The same words you just heard him say it was the spirit of, of Ronald Reagan when he ran. It wasn't a negative, fearful. He talked about that shining city on the hill and we're going to be great again. And not in a make America great again because we're fucked right now kind of a message that Donald Trump spews, but from a really positive, giving people hope kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And look, it's easy, you know, 30, 30 years later to say, well, uh, he was a terrible president and uh, he divided. He didn't. He brought people together. Mm -hmm. Tip O'Neill, who was a liberal Democrat speaker of the House, was a drinking buddy of Ronald Reagan. And they partnered together to get shit done. That is what we need in a candidate, whether it be Democrat or whether it be Republican. So, like I said, and I'll, I'll say it again because it bears repeating... I loves me some lame duck second term Obama. Mm -hmm. He makes me feel good. And I want that in a leader. We need that in a leader. We do. And we... We don't need <laughs> Mexicans or fucking rapists. We, that's not what we need yeah. in a president. Well, and you hear the way he was speaking so reasonable and so metered. And that's what terrifies me about Donald Trump is he just flies off the handle. And I don't think he realizes how serious this is. Right. You know, this isn't starting um, a corporation and then you can just like file bankruptcy four times when things don't really go perfectly. No, you're the president of the United States. You have a lot act, going on. Act accordingly. You have a lot in your hands that you need to take care of. Anyway. Well, he'll also probably be dead soon. <laughs> I don't know how that applies to this current conversation. I I just, I want to weave that in anytime I can. Okay. Anyway. Well, he'll also probably be dead soon. <laughs> Sorry, I'm derailing the good time. You're not derailing the good time. <laughs> He's, listen. Donald Trump needs every jibe that we can give him. Every prod, every poke, because he's deserving of it. He says terrible things. He acts like a, an animal. And then when anybody asks him a tough question or anything, he cries foul like he's not being treated fairly when he treats no one around him fairly. 
It is ridiculous and the height of hypocrisy. Ugh. All right. Next up, campaign related, Bernie Sanders. His civil rights record has been in question largely from the Hillary Clinton campaign uh, during this entire campaign season. And the Chicago Tribune just released from its archives a photo from 1963. And footage. Oh, and video footage. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, That I did not know. They've released this photo and footage from 1963 when he was being arrested by the Chicago Police Department while protesting segregation in the dorms at the University of Chicago where he attended school. It is remarkable and awesome. Look, it's no surprise to people who follow politics closely, but it, it, it is awesome because he has been questioned and he has been, you know, it's been kind of a, they, they trot out John Lewis, they trot out all of these, you know, historic and really noble men who are acting like politicians, unfortunately, and questioning his record and his integrity. And uh, it's now coming out that it it was unwarranted. Right. Here he is, 21 years old, at an anti-segregation protest, being arrested, being charged with resisting arrest and being fined $25. Pretty serious <laughs> stuff here. In, in 1963, that was probably, you know, equal to like $100,000. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, here he is, a 21-year-old, and, you know, you talk about being on the right side of history. Right. Right? This is someone who has, since 1963, with photographic evidence, been on the right side of history on these civil rights issues. In 1963, I don't know if this is exactly right, but Hillary Clinton used to be a young Republican on campus. It's very likely that at the same moment... That Bernie Sanders was being arrested in a civil rights protest for being on the right side of history. It is very likely that Hillary Clinton was in charge of some young Republicans group on campus. And even though it's okay for people to change their minds, in fact, it's great. Yeah, I'm not saying it's the fact that they're calling into question and and besmirching his record. So even though it's okay to change your mind... What is still meaningful here is this is a life of consistency. Absolutely. A life of being for civil rights. It's a great point. And it matters. In favor of equality. This is a lifetime of that. Putting yourself in harm's way. And that's powerful. For the greater cause. It's powerful. Very powerful. That he's been like this his whole life. Yes. He's he's been an activist. So we will leave you. We always like to leave every episode, except we didn't do it last time because I was hoping to gin up some pissed off (laughs) emotions. But we try to leave everybody, every episode, leaving everybody really happy. Well, I'm going to play. I don't know how well this is going to translate because the video has subtitles because it's hard to hear what's being said. But there's a lady. 106-year-old Virginia McLaurin, an old African-American woman who got to visit the White House this February, which is Black History Month. 
She was being honored for volunteering 40 hours a week with students who have severe mental disabilities. Well, she gets introduced to President Obama and the First Lady, Michelle Obama. And I don't know that I could muster as much energy as she showed. Mm -hmm. She is screaming it with excitement. She's jumping up and down. She's dancing around. Yep. And I'm going to play. It's about a minute and a half, let's say. And then we'll try to narrate what went down. So she just saw Obama. You want to say hi to Michelle? Yeah. Hold on, man. I don't know if I no, you are not. You are so not. You, gotta, you slow down. Oh, my goodness. I, I want to be like you. That's Michelle. <laughs> dancing? Come on. So what's, what's the secret to, 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 to still dancing at 106? Huh? Yeah. Come on. We're so happy to have you here. And look at those nails. Oh, Well, you, you are, are right here. here. And I tell you, you well, are here. I am so happy. No, we are happy to have you. Oh, you. Oh, you. Oh, you. Oh, look at him. Hey. Hey. Right there. Like, like, that's me? Yes. <laughs> and I'm here to celebrate black history. That's exactly Yeah, right. that's what I'm here for. That's well, we're right. We're glad to have you here. <laughs> <laughs> you have just made our day. You know that? That energy, man. This is a beautiful, beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. So it's Virginia McLaurin, Michelle Obama, and President Obama. And it's the three of them talking. And the my favorite part was toward the end when she looks at him and she says, a black president. And then she looks at Michelle and she's like, and his black wife. And she's just so, she didn't think she'd live to see a black president. It is, it brings up emotion for me. Because, think about it. She's 106 years old. She was born when William Howard Taft was president. Think about the horrors that she has been witness to in this country, simply for being black. She's lived through lynchings, through terrible oppression, through segregation, through beatings, through rampant injustices. And she gets to go to the White House and lay eyes on a black president. Times have changed. There's a lot of work to be done. Goddamn. I mean, we put the video on the Facebook page and I would encourage you to go watch it because it is... Maybe it's just me and I'm, (laughs) I'm a wuss. But it is really powerful. It's very powerful. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, go visit the go visit the Facebook page. If you haven't liked the Facebook page already, get it done. Again, if you'd like to contact the show, 657-464-7609. Of course, email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We appreciate you tuning in as often as you do, whether it be twice a week 
or, you know, just every once in a while. We appreciate you helping us move the conversation forward. We together are doing important stuff. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Well, you should be because you want me to be fresh. Fresh.